Good morning, Dean. How are you doing today? Very good. Good morning. Hey, I got I to gotta preface this before we get started, that I'm that kid that tipped over his dog's uh, house, and I used it as a space module to make it to the moon as that little six-year-old kid. So Whoa. space is my life. Oh, my life. gosh. It's like straight out of a... Straight out of Peanuts cartoon or something oh like that. God. That's cool. To crawl in there and to pretend that I... And then and then to walk in super slow motion when when I get out of that, that capsule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so your, your book is, is very fascinating to me as an adult. And that's what listeners need to understand, that this isn't just for the young adults or the children. This is for all people. 1,000 Facts About Space. You've done your homework. Oh, yeah. This is something I've been uh, doing for a long time. I'm an astronomer at the Cincinnati Observatory in Ohio. I've been there for more than 20 years, and my main job is education. So I uh, do talks, about 150 talks about space every year. And from that, I've kind of put together my 1,000 greatest facts, 1,000 greatest hits from all my talks. uh, We talk about the sun, moon, planets, stars, and pretty much anything up there. One of the things that, that I've noticed is, first of all, I grew up during the Space Challenger and things like that. But, but, but when it came to that space shuttle, it, it was like that one thing that everybody everybody thought, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And now when you look back at it, you're going, no, Artemis is the greatest thing ever. Well, it's a, it's a good debate as to what's the best mission up there. There's a lot of amazing ones. And, you know, for, you know, Sheer uh, thrill! I, you know, Apollo Eleven going to the moon and yeah. putting Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the surface of the moon definitely has to be up there in the top five. Um, for me, I think there's some other ones that we forget about that are like robotic missions. So we have the Cassini mission that was circling around Saturn for oh, more than a decade. That got those great pictures of the rings up close and moons. Uh, we got rovers on Mars, yeah. Uh, but certainly Artemis, Artemis uh, sending people back to the moon this decade is going to be an interesting story. That's for sure. This book comes out at a very interesting time because the big talk that I keep reading over and over again is about this green comet. What what is it about this green comet? Because your eye has got to be on that sky right now. Yeah, this green comet has a good press agent. I must say because I hate to be the bearer of bad news. This comet is overhyped, and I, I've been doing this a long time, and boy, I see the, uh, the the things about the comet, and oh yeah, it might be visible to the naked eye, so uh, I, I have to break it to you guys. If, uh, if nothing, if it acts as expected, you will probably need a telescope to be able to see it, so it's not going to grace our sky like hail bop and... Uh, unless something changes, but it's it's looking like it's going to be a little bit uh, uh, a little bit of a fizzle out job. But uh, some of our members have been taking pictures of it, and you need a through a two hour uh, exposure just to get oh, a good wow. picture of it. So all those green pictures. Well, there's a little camera work going on with that, that's for sure. But we still want to get people out and look at the night sky. We got some cool stuff up there, including Venus coming around. Jupiter and Mars are up there, too. So there's some really cool stuff you can still see. I grew up in the state of Montana, so that big sky country out there, that gave me uh, a, a, like, a, like a backstage pass into that universe. But here in the Carolinas, I don't get that so often, which is one of the reasons why I try to do as much camping as possible. Oh, yeah. To get out away from the city lights is huge. I mean, to see the Milky Way arching across the sky is one of those things that uh, are just incredible. And and I hope this book kind of like it's 
gets families and, and, and even adults excited about getting out there and making it accessible. I, I, I think maybe I'm a little bit uh, strange since it's my job to be an astronomer, but when I go on vacation, I try to seek out these kind of dark skies. Because yeah. seeing, seeing the night sky from a dark sky, it's like a great vacation on its own. Wow. 50 massive facts about dwarf planets. I've never heard of what a dwarf planet is. What, what are we talking about here? Well, the classic dwarf planet that everybody is still mad about is Pluto. Pluto, Pluto the former planet, was converted to dwarf planet status uh, 16 years ago. And so a dwarf planet is round, uh, goes around the sun, but is not dominant in its region. So Pluto, the big reason why Pluto is not a planet anymore, and I know so your listeners aren't going to... Uh, like this, but it's because that astronomers found so many other things out there since we were kids. Yeah, um, you know, Pluto was just the only thing out there, and then the '90s and 2000s, we found 2,000 more things out there. So Pluto, to remain a planet, that would mean that we would have to now memorize the 2,000 other planets. What about that urban legend of that? There's the black hole out there is bringing another planet in, and Pluto is part of its moons. Oh, well, that one is definitely an urban legend, yeah, because there's no black holes anywhere nearby us that could do that. Uh, Pluto's exists, I mean, Pluto's an amazing world. Uh, It has five moons, it has ice volcanoes, it has this cool surface, Um, but is it in the same league as the other planets? Uh, Probably not, but it is an amazing thing, and and, uh, uh, we got these great pictures of it uh, from close up from a New Horizons spacecraft took nine and a half years that spacecraft to get to Pluto. That's how far away it is. Are we in a space race? Because it seemed to be that was the big thing back in the 60s and 70s. We got to win the space race. But now, I mean, everybody seems to be up there, but I don't hear anybody talking about it being a race. Yeah, it, it, there's not a, it's not the same kind of urgency as to, you know, getting to the moon first. Uh, you know, there was that you know, race like, you know, uh, the Soviet Union was, was ahead of us and sending people to space and uh, then maybe even exploring the moon, and then we got there first through a tremendous effort, and 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 um, so I guess the next frontier is Mars. Really, Mars is the what a lot of uh, countries have their eye on, and so there is a question mark as to who might get there first with people. Would it be the United States? Would it be Russia? Would it be China? Or would it be a private company? And there's, you know, the United States is definitely the front runner. There's nobody, you know, close to us right now. But it certainly could change because it's going to take a while for us to get it all together to actually send people to Mars. Well, we, last year was was the year that we had that Orville and Wilbur Wright moment in our own generation when that helicopter was flying around Mars. I thought that was the most. I was like a freaking child when I when I was learning about that. <laughs> Oh, that's great to hear because it's you know we always like to hear what what kind of space missions and space stories get people excited. And I think you're right that ingenuity helicopter, yes, that drone on on Mars, because you know for me watching that, I don't know if people knew this, but we didn't think we didn't know it was going to work. Like the, the, you can't you can't test Mars conditions on Earth very you know perfectly. So there was a good chance that thing was not going to get off the ground. And uh, when it did, uh, you know, that was just awesome. You're like, okay, engineers rock. They know what they're doing. And um, I, I, I'd be curious. I don't know what you think about this, but whenever they show the NASA command center yeah. and 
the mission works and everybody gives their awkward high fives. <laughs> I think that's like so cool. <laughs> I'm like, all right, nerds celebrating. I love it. I can take it. So many things have been invented up there in space, one of them being Velcro. It was something like the moon buggy. Did it did it inspire other changes down here on, on the Earth? Yeah, Velcro is one of those cool things that's, uh, you know, you got to stick stuff to places because you're floating around in space, so you have to come up with ways to, to get around that. I think I think the big legacy of the space program, and, and people do ask me, they say, well, you know, what do we get out of this? You know, we're exploring space, we get pretty pictures, that kind of stuff. But it, the fact that I'm talking to you right now from across the country uh, is because of the space program. Like, our communication is completely built on what they did there. And so that's one tangible thing, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, for me, there is still that inspirational thing that to inspire people, kids and adults to, to, to explore. I think that's part of our human nature. So I'm going to ask a, a kid-like question here. With, with modern-day technology, can the astronauts get Google up in space? Can they do Disney Plus? You know, that's a good question. How do they come? I don't think it's quite on, uh, you know, whatever the cable or uh, what satellite do they use? I'm sure it's uh, all connected uh, from ground-based stuff. Yeah. Um, could they, uh, they, they have the technology to do that, I'm sure. Uh, do they watch it? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, usually when I talk to astronauts that have been in the space station, they they always say you know they don't have a lot of free time. I always think you know they're just floating around up there. Might as well watch some Netflix or something like that. They're doing stuff almost all the time and have to exercise all the time. But certainly one of the pluses of a, of a Mars mission, if you're going to go to Mars and it takes you seven months to get there, Jeez. I always tell kids like. Yeah, imagine being in a spacecraft for seven months. Think of all the video games you can play. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the book we're talking about is 1,000 Facts About Space. What are, what's, what's fascinating about space right now is it doesn't look as big as we did you know, when we saw it as children. It looks approachable now. It looks like that we can all just reach up there and become a part of it. Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's that that's one of the things that it does seem to be an intimidating subject. But um, that's kind of one of my 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 job is to to make it seem or make it accessible because uh, I'm hoping that people will kind of be inspired by this book to get out and observe the sky themselves yeah. and get connected with their local amateur astronomy group and science center and observatory because they're all around the country. And places like ours here in Cincinnati, uh, you know, we have these giant telescopes and people can come and look through them and see the planets and the moon and the stars. And um, and the fact that all these things, these new discoveries come out so fast and are on social media and on the Internet, it's it's really amazing uh, work. And, and to me, being an astronomer, being part of that uh, exploration and sharing of knowledge, I mean, every day I get to learn something new. How cool is that? <laughs> so do you feel like a historian or an, or somebody that's uh, like an archaeologist? Because, I mean, you've got the 50 f uh, facts of the coolest space missions here. Not too many young children even know that there are 50 facts about these missions. Oh, yeah. I mean, looking back at space missions, I mean, these are some of the coolest uh, things, either manned or unmanned. They're just... You know, getting these the first images of, of mercury were for instance oh, were yeah. 
fraught with danger and, and pitfalls and all this kind of stuff. And then let alone sending a spacecraft out to, to fly by Pluto, you know, billions of miles away. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I, I definitely like the astronomy history angle because of this is something that all of our ancestors have been doing and watching the stars for thousands of years. So, uh, and every generation we learn so much new stuff that we have to kind of revisit things and, and revisit our theories and uh, change them quite often too. I've been blessed with the opportunity to talk with many astronauts. And one of the conversations that I had during the COVID lockdown was the astronaut was heavily inspired that children were finally realizing that the computer is not a toy, it is a tool. And she felt that that mm. we, we will go to Mars because of that lockdown, because children are using it as a tool. Yeah, that's a really good uh, good point. I think that... Um, the you know being in quarantine and and learning from home uh, again that communication that comes from uh, you know NASA technology essentially yeah. um, and you know one of the other things that struck me about uh, you know being in quarantine and, and COVID was you you kind of realize time differently you think of time differently and and there was you know thinking like oh if I want to go to Mars it's going to take me 26 months round trip. And kind of before COVID, I was thinking, wow, that's a ridiculous amount of time to be isolated. But then you're in COVID for two years, you're like, hey, I could have gone to Mars in this time. I would, you know, I, instead of sitting around at home, uh, I could be on a rocket to Mars. And, you know, it actually made me think I could probably do it. I, I always <laughs> thought, no, I could never go to Mars. That'd be, that'd be ridiculous. But now, if I could go through this, you know, uh, uh, it sounds like uh, I think people are like, yeah, reevaluating and, and finding their place in the universe a little bit differently since that. And so that's good to hear uh, what the astronaut I think is right on. You were talking about how you have oh wow moments as you do the research and stuff like that. One, one of the oh wow moments that I have inside this book is that the, the Greek word for milk is galaxy. And then we sit there and you look at the photographs, you're going, I, I see it. <laughs> I see exactly what, what it means. Yeah, the uh, yeah ancient Greek world word. Uh, they they basically thought the, when they looked up at the sky, the Milky Way looked like spilled milk up in the sky, <laughs> and that's that's where that comes from. It's like somebody spilled the milk. There's a whole big myth behind it, which is uh, crazy. So I highly encourage people to get out there and learn. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say it on on the air because it's pretty nuts. Uh, but yeah, look up how the the Greeks thought the Milky Way came from. Um, and uh, but that's one of the things we're in. If we're in cities, we can't see that. We can't see that many stars to kind of figure out what that looks like. Um, and getting out in a dark sky and seeing the Milky Way is is unreal. Wow, Dean, you've got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Always happy to talk with you guys. And uh, yeah, let me know. Uh, uh, we can also have a, the, the big Pluto debate a little bit more, too, if we can. Uh, I'm always happy to talk Pluto uh, with people because uh, my book that came out before this is called How to Teach Grownups About Pluto, uh, how to, uh, uh, to help your grownups get over the trauma of losing a planet. So uh, we can, let's, let's do that sometime. I love where your heart is. Well, you be brilliant and you have a great weekend, okay, sir? Thanks so much. Keep looking up.